Greetings, dysfunctionals. It's me, Dr. Ernesto Morales, here with another episode of the Reality Dysfunctions Coronavirus WTF series. Today, we have a solid group of Latinos zooming in from around the country to discuss Biden and Bernie. I will let them introduce themselves as we get started. If you are listening and you have questions or comments, go to our site on podbean.com and leave them in the comments along with the name of the person that the question or comment is directed toward, and we will do our best to get back with you. All right, let's hear from our guest today. Hey, I'll start. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, this is uh, Reiner Delgado. I'm in Michigan. Uh, I'm a uh, telecommunications worker. I live in Lansing, and I work out of the Saginaw, Michigan area. Uh, I'm also a union official with the Communication Workers of America. Francisco Lopez, Monona Valley educator here in Southern California, union rep for the teachers union here in Monona Valley. Scott Duncan in Oakland, California. I'm a writer. Senia Orona, uh, chair of the Arizona Democratic Party Latinx Caucus. Tony Spangler, transplanted Michicano, uh, living in Texas and working in Texas politics for about 10 years to do a uh, little marketing and PR. Okay. Right organizing, organizing from the right, basically made it so our entire body politic got put and got pulled over to the right. We're having the same thing happen this year, the last couple of years on the left side, and so hopefully it'll start to stabilize, and we can get some good some good progress come out come out of it. So you know, kind of what I was wondering too, Zinnia, because I know that you really have your finger on the pulse of what's happening you know, with Latino voters in, in the state of Arizona. Well, you I got your, you, you, I think you're doing a good job, sister. How, how did, how was the Latino turnout for uh, Bernie in this last election? You know, I have the statistics up from two different sources. Some of the exit polls from the Times and from the Washington Post, we're, Latinos are breaking pretty heavily for Bernie and especially young Latinos and Latinas in particular, like mujeres are the ones that are breaking for Bernie the most. Mm -hmm. And I think putting on like my armchair sociologist hat, I think that a lot of that has to do with being in statistically on the bottom of these total polls overall. So like Latinas, I think just above Native American women make less per the white man's dollar. Pay inequality is a lot greater for Latinas than it is for white women, for example, compared to white men. We're more likely to suffer from medical discrimination, from environmental discrimination. You just see the outcomes collectively as a group be so much worse for Latinas and, and Latinas in general, and young Latinas particularly. So I think because there's a long, we're, because we're smart and we have a long history of seeing that the system is not working for us, we're more willing to shake it up and try something different. Whereas communities that do benefit from the way that they, and things are right now, I think they're the ones who are less willing and more scared of change. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting in Texas, uh, Latino voters also voted for Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders won most of the precincts in South Texas in the Rio Grande Valley area. But Biden won really big in Houston, uh, Austin, Dallas, and in a lot of the suburban communities surrounding our large urban areas. And so Biden won in those areas where there were really high African-American voters as well as more liberal-minded suburban voters. And so one of the things that sh has shifted in Texas 
in the last several years is, or in the last decade, is we've had a lot of people move to Texas. And a lot of those people that are moving to Texas are not those traditional conservative Texas voters. And so, you know, the, the voting mix and demographic is shifting, shifting here. The problem that I saw, you know, Biden versus uh, Sanders, it's not a messaging issue. Where Bernie has fallen short is Bernie's had four years since 2016. He had very little African-American support in the 2016 election. All of that, all those votes went to Clinton. He had four years to shore up his votes with the black community and the numbers were just overwhelming, particularly like in areas like Houston and Dallas where a huge uh, proportion of the electorate is uh, African-American. So what I think a lot of people really like about Bernie, regardless of where their politics are, whether they're moderate left, far left, I think what they like is that he's he energized young voters and you look at all of the data, the polling data that's come out so far in the primary is he hasn't added a lot of net new young voters. He's, he's winning the majority of young voters, but he's not getting net new. And he didn't close the gap with African-American voters. We all know that a Democrat nationally has to have a coalition of voters that is, you need almost 90% to 95% of the African-American vote, somewhere in that range. Uh, I think uh, Trump got 8% in 2016. His polling numbers are so abysmal with the black community. It looks like he's going to be lucky to get uh, 5 or 6% in this next election. I'm surprised that he can even get 5 or 6%, man. Dude, I'm uh, shocked by that. You know, we're always shocked by the fact that anybody even votes for Trump, period. <laughs> let, <laughs> let, let alone, our, our, let alone our, our brown brothers and sisters who... Yeah. Uh, will clearly have zero representation in, in this White House. Tony, he still needs housekeepers and uh, and ground staff, okay? Well, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the conversation about black and brown folks uh, breaking for Republicans in general, but more specifically Trump, is a larger conversation. Code Switch recent, um, a couple months ago, did an episode about uh, the, black, uh, the black Republican like there's two groups within the Black Republican uh, Caucus Coalition. I really recommend that episode in order to gain an understanding of kind of the mentality behind what Republicanism looks like among Black folk. Xenia, maybe you could send me that um, that link and I can include it in the uh, in the description for this episode so that people yeah. can just click on it. That would be cool. Absolutely. The synopsis of that episode is basically a breaks down to who's who's done the work and also um, race conscious versus race blind black folk. It's really interesting. I highly recommend it. I'll include okay. it. All right. That's good. I don't know for myself. It's It's been very easy. Bernie was uh, a favorite of mine four years ago, continue to, you know, favor his candidacy. But I also understand too that, you know, that we have to really present a united front, like Tony was just talking about in a way, come November and vote for who the candidate is. And I think it's also really interesting too that I, I think that there are a lot of people that I've been having conversations with that fail to understand what a primary, what the purpose of a primary actually is. And that the purpose of the primary is to decide who best represents the true values of the party that they're seeking to lead, right? As opposed to who can beat Donald Trump. I mean, that's, it's not that it's not a reason to make a decision, but I mean, if that's what the reason is, then two and a half years from now, we're going to get what we asked for. I think that it's super important 
to remember that, you know, Joe Biden has a very clear history of voting for um, segregationist legislation. Um, he is a friend of the corporation uh, in a way that Sanders is not. I mean, this is just, and it's this isn't me making up things about him. I mean, these things are absolutely true. We just had uh, somebody join us, uh, Scott. Um, Scott, you want to introduce yourself real quick? I'm Scott. <laughs> where, where are you from, Scott? Kind <laughs> of uh, California and Texas. All right. Okay. How you guys doing? Great. We're doing good. So then the question is, does Bernie still have a shot? I mean, I guess no. is that what we're coming down to? I mean, so yeah, is it done? Think. He's gone. It's all Biden, Biden or bust. Well, uh, that's hard to say. I mean, at this point, I think Bernie would need uh, over 64% of the remaining votes and the remaining delegates in order to, re to really make that argument. Um, I mean, in recent days, you have people asking, "Where is where is Joe Biden? Like, what kind of what kind of leadership is he showing in the pan during the pandemic?" And right. Bernie has kind of stepped up and redirected his donation base to to build resources for people who are suffering from the pandemic. Actually, the what we were talking about before we started recording with the Restaurant Opportunity Centers United, that's one of the organizations that Bernie has redirected his donation base to, and so really putting his money where his mouth is and, and trying to help working people. That's what's up without the laborer, man. I mean, nothing, nothing turns, right? I know teachers, uh, the teachers union, they've, they've already come out and said, you know, it's Biden. They put all their support behind Biden. But it's like, he's a, he's a choice people think that can win. I mean, he's the, like the very moderate choice, right? So it's not like, I think they're just choosing him because out of, what they think is necessity. Cause I remember when this, I, I know I'm jumping in the conversation, but like when this was more early days and like Bernie versus Biden, I was saying like, I didn't want a moderate or even in the beginning of the democratic process, I was, uh, whatever the, the uh, I was saying, I don't want a moderate because like that's just return to the same is not what, you know, like the, the days before Trump and exactly what, what we need is this is stirred up. I think the, the right's been stirred up. They're not going away, right? They've been, and they're politically active. And so I don't think a moderate really is going to cut it for anybody. Well, well, I, think even, I, I think even calling uh, him a moderate is kind. You know, for me, yeah, Elizabeth exactly. Warren was, was the moderate vote. But um, I mean, know, really, Bernie Sanders is a moderate. I mean, if you mm -hmm. want to think about yes. politics in the broad scheme of things, Bernie's mm -hmm. a moderate. Anyways, Tony, I know you had something you wanted to say. You know, regardless of whether we think how moderate we think Biden is or isn't, the one thing that we still have left is the convention. And, yeah. you know, those delegates are going to have to, Biden's going to need everybody to come together. If he's, if he's the presumptive nominee, he's only going to be able to achieve that by bending the platform and bringing the Bernie Sanders supporters under the tent. And yeah. so, you know, it's not just race in terms of, you know, the coalition that you have to bring together. You've got to bring together a coalition of ideas and Bernie still has an opportunity to influence, uh, you know, the platform and the Biden agenda because Biden's going to need absolutely every single vote that he can get in order to beat Donald Trump. Because you, you look at those polling numbers that Republicans, the way that they're surrounding uh, Trump, uh, you know, unless they stay home, the Democratic Party is going to have to have absolutely every single vote they can muster up and dig up new, net new voters. And so, 
you know, maybe Bernie plays a role there, you know, and, and the only way that the only way that Biden gets elected. And if you, what you guys talked about earlier is like how Biden has sort of adapted and, you know, he's shifted his principles, as you guys talked about earlier. He'll shift his principles at the convention to take on a more a liberal leaning uh, agenda yeah. if that's what it's going to take to get everybody under the tent. If there's one thing that you can count on about Joe Biden is he knows how to adapt. He knows how to survive. <laughs> I mean, look, that's, that's part of the game of politics. Oh, like, no, no, for sure. For sure. I was thought I thought you were going to say he was a shifty motherfucker. That's what I thought you were going to say. Bernie's consistent one, you know. No, you're, you're right, Tony. I mean, I, I agree with you, man. I, and I think that if that's the way it's going to go, what I do think is interesting is that when we saw this, the last um, debate that I saw anyways between Biden and Sanders, what Bernie said to him was, maybe we're losing this election, but we have won the battle of ideology. And I, I think that, I think he's right. I'm 53 years old and there is a man who says he is a socialist who is running for president of the United States who actually has people voting for him. Yeah. That is unprecedented in my lifetime. And I think it says a lot. I think it also really speaks to what's happening in the Latino community. I believe that it is. You know, people, as the sister was saying earlier, the disparities in incomes, I mean, there's no way to get around that. And there's also no history in this country for brown folks that says that if we work hard, that we'll get ahead. That doesn't exist for yeah. us. Right? I just get more hard work. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. meritocracy. Yeah, bootstrap is, stuff, yeah. Yeah, meritocracy, the whole idea of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. If yeah. you put in the work, you'll get your due. That is, it's a pretty idea. And yeah. our politics and our national identity is built around that idea. But it's time and again, it's shown that it doesn't exactly work. The mechanism for it, which has been like, more and more unfettered capitalism and more deregulated capitalism has not been productive for working folks to actually get ahead and and be able to live not only survive their lives but thrive and i wanted to get back a little bit to to the topic of us being the influencers of the body politic i mean there are people who i know that in the conversations that i've had with people who are not involved or not plugged in have been like democrat republican they're all the same and i think what needs to happen we need to make sure we're doing is that we're telling people hey if you're if you belong to a party you are in the room and you get to say what happens it's right. gonna be contentious because that's just the nature of politics and that's the nature of leadership and making sure that our, our ideas come forward but we have to be willing to not only be in the room take the power from the people who are not making the decisions that reflect our values and reflect the needs of our community Agreed. So if we're not in the rooms, then we are going to get trampled on and we're going to get eaten alive. Yeah. So this is definitely Bernie's last shot. True. Yeah. Who's next? I mean, uh, to me is okay. Todd, you were talking about, uh, you know, in your lifetime, you know, you have somebody who's a socialist there, somebody who's willing to step in a different direction. Who's following? I guess that's what, to me, that's what I see. Who's, who's behind that? Well, we already see some of them in Congress, y'all. Uh, you see, or, we already see some of them in Congress. You're oh, asking yeah. after Bernie, who's next? I mean, you have AOC. You have yeah. AOC. You have Rashida Tlaib. You have um, the young woman who just won in Texas. Her name is escaping me, but she unseated a 
corporate Democrat who voted against the uh, against the Hyde Amendment. Right. And so we're already coming up. Like you have young folks that are already coming on up that are using their organizing experience with and the ideology that Bernie has built in order to make the shifts into positions of power. Like the party but is moving. I'm just saying like, so like far as like, let's call Bernie a progressive candidate. So he, I, I mean, I'm of the mind that they're not going to beat Trump. They're already deifying him. They're like calling him a war president. They're pretty much praying to the, to the son of a bitch right now as we're talking, you know? And they're going to pull some, like, all the dirty stuff they normally pull. They're going to be around the polling stations with machine guns and whatnot. They're going to do all that stuff. I don't think it's, I don't think the Democratic candidate's going to win, but I hope I'm wrong. But let's say if whoever the, is Bernie just being, uh, this has gotten this far, or if he's the candidate and he loses, is that, does that open roads or is that closing roads for, for someone that we're calling progressive? I argue that it opens roads for people to follow behind. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, without without that from spearhead to open to open up the path, you don't have people who are able to continue to open that space and follow and continue to empower new leadership. I think it takes one in order to start a movement. Yeah, but I also say a lot of people. I mean, it's like if, if there's so many people behind Biden. I mean, the Democratic Party is pretty wide. You know. I mean, like. Um, and if they see that, I can see that if Biden gets it and they say, like, even, uh, and he fails, they can say, look, look, like, even this moderate, we should stop trying to get these people on the fence, you know, who are, which, who the hell are they, you know? So I'm just kind of thinking maybe that, that could make people want to shift to something more progressive. I, I don't know. But also, if it seems like if they're, if they're not able to win, people don't get behind them, you know? I think that one of the things that it's, important to remember or to just kind of think through is that um we are in a we are in a moment in this in this country perhaps in this hemisphere of intense change and not just in terms of like you know we're in the coronavirus and all this but even like within our community i mean within our lifetimes even the old ones that are on this call within our lifetimes uh mexicanos chicanos will become you know, one fifth of the population in the United States. I mean, we will, you know, the the growth is just tremendous, right? So I think that part of the question, you know, that we really have to ask ourselves is, you know, what are we doing right now to address the issues that you brought up? But how are we also planning, you know, for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years? And I mean, this is part of a conversation that I have going on with another group of people. We formed an organization called Michiganos 2070, where we are looking at like what the next 50 years brings in terms of political organization. And, you know, nations and parties and all that, they always seem very concrete when you're in the middle of them. But history tells us, and, and we yeah, can see can. it, right, that they rise and they fall. And I think it's the same thing that that's happening here. I mean, certainly the Republicans... They've made a choice about how they want their party to go. I think that Democrats have to do that same thing. But I also think that there are several other political parties that are rising um, yeah. that could, you know, give a real challenge to the two-party system. Or even if they don't challenge the two-party system, could absolutely, you know, merge with one of those parties and, you know, change the direction of it. So, I, you know, I... Uh... 
I think that right now the way that our that our election system is set up, it's it's a lot a lot more difficult for those third parties to actually be able to oh, gain the ground absolutely. to make the to make the change that needs to happen or the change yeah. that they want to see, right? Yeah. So fundamentally what needs to happen with our democracy is that we need to that there needs to be ranked choice voting and getting away from the winner take all first past the post election system that we've had in the past yeah in order to give more air to the diversity of ideas yeah um, well, so I, until that happens third parties are going to continue to be marginalized in a large way yeah and i think it, the it, um the message of the the right's going to change because like what you're talking about like when there's like a mexican-american majority in the country in like 2042 or whatever I call it the Mexpocalypse, <laughs> the way the media portrays it, like, you know, but whenever the Mexpocalypse happens, I, uh, in anticipation of that, before Trump, Republicans were really going off on this, um, um, like religion, abortion, and really courting Latinos in a, in a certain manner, you know, they sure. were, and then Trump came along and that went out, that went out, with the, they're going to return to that after they have a split or have a whatever happens, like, because whenever Trump falls out of a favor, but I, the problem is that they got to taste the, the extreme right. They've got to taste the mainstream and they're not going to, they're not going to let that go very easy. Look, in Texas politics, one of the things that we look at is what are the numbers that we need to turn out in order to win? Mm -hmm. And let's, let's just address a few things about our own community in terms of, uh, uh, as a voting block. That makes that makes the math really difficult. First of all, we have we have the worst voter registration percentages of, of any demographic. We have the worst voter turnout numbers of any demographic. And then here in Texas, about forty percent of brown people vote Republican because the popes told them they can't vote for a Democrat. Yeah, uh, and so. You know, those, you, you know, what Texas pol politicians and, you know, campaigns often do is they run a ton of radio ads about uh, abortion, abortion this, abortion that, and, you know, for abortion. And they feel compelled, you know, uh, you know, their, their values, you know, they, they're value voters and they go out and they're, and they're, they're reluctant to vote for, pull the lever for a Democrat, uh, strictly, you know, because of religious reasons. But look, that makes the math difficult. Are our numbers growing? Yes, our numbers are growing. Do we have a 60-40 advantage? Roughly, and in, in, in maybe more in some states. I think uh, Nevada's performed better. Uh, I think Colorado's performed better. I think Arizona is on the upswing. New Mexico's done well. But look, we've got to, you know, what this race of this primary, the Biden-Sanders, even looking at how Warren splits some votes. Look, we need like-minded people voting together. We need liberal white women breaking from their GOP household and pulling yeah. the lever for a Democrat. Yeah. We need all, we need is absolutely as many black voters we can get to the polls as possible because they're all going to, none very few of them, we talked about this earlier, very few of them are going to vote for Trump. We need as many Hispanic voters as we can get if, if we can get the right messaging out there and, and convince them to vote on other issues. I think all of us are on this call right now in this podcast are all, deeply steeped or at least we're very uh tuned into politics and so we're accustomed to the, to the labels and the ideas of the past right where all that stuff's ingrained into us two-party system liberal enough you know too moderate that sort of thing look i can tell you this there are ideas that are bubbling up older voters tend to be more conservative voters right yeah. just in mm -hmm. general and 
we know what the GOP's voting base looks like, predominantly old white people, right? And as many others as they can drag, drag into the equation. Is the rest of the population growing at a faster rate and should be beginning, should we start winning elections in the future? Absolutely. But one of the things that we're, a couple of the things that we're up against right now that is really their last stranglehold on power before they're outnumbered yeah. is voter suppression laws, yep. trying to make it more, more difficult for brown and black people to vote. Uh, the way that they're stacking the federal courts right now, and uh, it, which is where Section 2 and Section 5 challenges to voting uh, issues are, are brought in. And in the next two to three decades, nobody's going to win those cases. And it's going to be it's a it's going to be a difficult road for everyone, you know, up against that much stacked power. The only thing that you're going to be able to do is just outorganize. You know, the, the the campaigns in, for instance, in Texas, look at the way that Beto O'Rourke performed in Texas, almost beat Ted Cruz in what has been um, historically for the last 25 years, a deep red state. That was a 2% margin, right? It was, yeah. it was a hair's breadth. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that, I mean, it was just, that, that's almost like winning <laughs> in Texas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, he did that. He did that with field activity. He did that by knocking on doors. He did that by asking people for their vote. And that's the only way that you're going to overcome the structural disadvantages in the political system right now is just talk to people about your ideas and say, hey, look, I'm representing this candidate and here's what this candidate is for and, and here's what uh, this candidate's against and would you be willing to vote for him? And there's more people out there who are embracing uh, the ideas that our party is uh, presenting. People want healthcare. People want to see it as a human right. People are drowning in student loan debt. Those ideas are gonna resonate with everyone. And, and, and what, what the reason why uh, the Democrats had such huge wins in the midterm election is they were talking about healthcare. They were talking about colleges and affordable. The ideas were winning the day. And they were and they were getting this big class of uh, house reps elected in swing districts because the ideas were winning. So this I this this question was posed earlier: If a socialist doesn't win, uh, does it mean the socialist candidacy or the viability of a socialist candidate is dead? I don't think it has to do with the labels because younger people and more and more people are embracing the ideas. Yeah, overall, overall, I I agree. Does you see the same phenomenon happening here in in Arizona with? Uh, after the wake of SB 1070, um, the past 10 years have been spent by activists, organizers, community members coming out to vote and being involved in our body politic. And that doesn't happen in a vacuum. That doesn't happen without uh, blood, sweat, and tears going into it. So we as a community, we as organizers specifically, but also we as a Latino community need to be willing to invest the time and brain space to learn a little bit more about our civic structure that yeah. way that way we know what's happening what decisions are being made and making sure that the decisions that are being made are not are not without us because yeah. unless yeah because I'm, like you said the ideas that are gaining light right now and the ideas that are really that are really taking hold right now they're coming up because our situation is jacked yeah i spent my entire adult life doing organizing working on that and i've absolutely come to the opinion over the last uh, several years that if you're not building organization, if you're not building a party, 
if you're not building a base, then you are simply bullshitting. And I think it's just, uh, it's all about the ego if you're not doing those things. And so, I mean, one of the things that I think is really important, and I always try to encourage young Chicanos, uh, Latinos to do, is to go out and get involved in union organizing, get involved in electoral politics, even if it's something that they don't necessarily believe in 100%, what they're doing is acquiring a valuable skill set that will that they will be able to translate over into the work that they want to do in their community. Because, I mean, we're not training young brothers and sisters to work in the Chicano Latino movement. I mean, that's just, that's not happening, right? And so, I mean, thinking about how to move those things forward, but in the meantime, you know, we have these surrogate work opportunities that also allow us, like Zenny was saying, and like Tony has been saying, to really participate in the in the dominant conversation that's happening right now. And that's that's super important because if we can't get our voice, if we can't force our voice into that room, then um, we will end up like South Africa. We will end up in a, a situation that I think is much worse than anything that we can even begin to imagine at this point. I can, I can say I agree with that. You know, here in Moreno Valley, a lot of our city council is made up of Chicanos, Latinos, right? However, the narrative and the questioning of the politics is still being framed by the landowners, right? <coughs> by anybody who, you know, who has the money and what's being done throughout the city is based on that, right? Is based on pretty much, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're full of warehouses now and that has been all be due to the developers. It's a developer-led uh, conversation. All right. Hey, I want to thank you all for, for participating in this conversation. Like I said, earlier. We're going to be doing a number of these during the quarantine. And so I'll be sending out these different links. I hope that each of you seriously consider coming back on. This has been a very intelligent conversation. I have really enjoyed this a lot. And I'm sure the people that listen to it will also too. So in the meantime, all of you out there, uh, stay safe, stay home, wash your hands. We'll see you uh, again real soon. Peace.